Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest today is Brandon Martinago. Now, he's the owner and director of Dulcie's King's Cross. That's a bohemian cocktail bar that only sells Aussie spirits. Brandon was always inspired by the magic of theatre and wanted to create immersive theatrical spaces that really engage patrons. Having worked in theatre production, he understood the creative side and working in hospitality, he understood teamwork and the importance of customer satisfaction. So in 2018, he combined the two and started Dulcie's King's Cross, by the way, right in the middle of the lockout laws. Now, Dulcie's is all about reliving the magic of the 20s and 30s era through creating an immersive experience at the venue itself from the performers right down to their locally sourced 100% Aussie products. But just like all hospitality businesses, the regulations that came into effect around COVID-19 forced him to shut their doors. So he's gone from lockout to lockdown. So they pivoted quickly and started offering Dulcies to your door. Takeaway bespoke cocktails in a bottle that were handmade and hand-delivered. Each purchase came with instructions to recreate the experience of visiting the bar for the customer at home. So in other words, you can't come to him. He's going to bring the experience of Dulcies at King's Cross at your home. I'm going to ask Brandon how the business was able to pivot their offering during the lockdown period, the importance of theatre to their business, and why the focus on using 100% Aussie produce. It's a really cool story about building emotion around a brand, building an experience, and then taking that experience and distributing it to people's homes as a result of a pivot caused by COVID. It's a good one, so let's get into it. Brandon Martinego, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you, thank you. So I got the first part right, uh, Brandon Martinego, that sounds right, does it? That, that sounds incredible. What, right. what nationality is that? It's Italian, it's like Italian. North Italian. Northern Italian. Yeah. It, like your parents or? Uh, my my mum's side and my grandfather, so right. it was like, quite high up in the in the Italian Alps apparently and he fled here and I've never learned any Italian other than my last name so that's that'll do so I, I, I go to uh I mean, your business is called Dulcie's King's Cross yeah Dulcie's King's Cross not Dulcie's yeah. from King's Cross not Dulcie's of King's Cross but Dulcie's King's Cross yeah it's named after a woman who used to live in the cross uh Dulcie Dima and it's one of those cute names that I think makes sense when you come from the 30s but now these days, everyone thinks that you're naming it after a, a dessert. Everyone I know struggles to really get the I, and they call it uh, Dolce's. 
It's an old school name. It's a very old school name yeah. and a very old school Australian name, I yeah, think. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I had an Auntie Dulcie and uh, I just remember like like a long, 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 it was on my mother's side going back. Um, but it's a real old sort of Aussie name. Yeah. It's like something out of the 50s or 40s or something. And, but so I actually have an image of when I when I hear the name Dulcie, I have an image of what a Dulcie looks like. Uh, they, was, they definitely have a, a certain image that conjure in a lot of people's do you minds. Mean, is it someone who's having a drink and a smoke? Yeah, there was two. Um, so we ours is named after a woman who was Australia's first female boxing reporter. She established Australia's first uh, Guild of Riders. She was labelled Sydney's Queen of Bohemia. She wore a leopard skin dress to an arts ball with a dog tooth collar. And kind of used to do the splits on bars up until the age of 74. And she has a bit of a lesser known history, whereas... That's uh, the real Dulcie. That's the Dulcie that we named the bar after. But there was also Dulcie Markham, who was uh, Sydney's highest paid woman in the 20s and 30s. Uh, She was also a working girl. But she became known as the Black Widow because every husband she ever took died in the most graphic and horrific ways possible. Like, shot point blank in the face. um, Yeah, it was, it was she pretty. She was a gangster. Yeah, she was one of the Tilly Tilly Divine girls. So yeah, I can see. I can see, Tilly and Dulcie are sort of two names that uh, I can. I mean, I actually, I don't know why Dulcie is not a more popular name for people to name their kids today. It's Make it cool, cool again. It's, it, it is back. cool. It is cool. It's, it's funny. You know, as soon as I saw the name, I I didn't know you, and I sort of had an imagination what you might look like. Um, and uh, you know, who's a dude who's built something called Dulcie's King's Cross? Um. Both of those, to me, elicit. I mean, I'm old enough to remember what King's Cross used to be used to be like back in the days when there was a bar they called the Roosevelt Bar. Yeah, uh, way back, it was a great place to get, but a great bit of real estate inside. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I think it's still a great. Place well, the whole of real King's Cross was cool back, back then. Yeah, you know, long before, probably before you were born, actually. But back then, King's Cross was top hat and cane. You went to King's Cross uh, for entertainment. It wasn't sleazy. It became sleazy Vietnam period yeah. and the drugs and heroin and all that sort of stuff, but. And then it became strip joints and whatever, but prior and drugs and what it, then it became what it was a little while ago. But when and um, I always reckon the reason they locked King's Cross down is because they just wanted to change King's Cross because exactly they wanted to get rid of all the shit did. out of there. Yeah, and there was a lot of shit in there, to be honest with you. Oh, uh, even in the short amount of time I've been there, you kind of reconnect. And we we started Dulcies with the idea of going back to that idea of the old top hat and cane King's Cross because. I've got family history through Sydney and the stories that I used to hear about King's Cross and Abe Saffron and Sammy Lee and all those guys were that they created this really beautiful nighttime entertainment precinct. Yeah, when you saw, but just for the listeners now, Sammy Lee had a section called the Latin Quarter. Latin Quarter, yeah. Which was very cool. Um, and people went out there for a night. You wore a suit and tie. Yeah. You got you got frocked up 100%. You know, and people sh- cared. And there were gangsters, but the gangsters in those days were nicely dressed. Yeah. And uh, they and were wearing well. gold and yeah. looking cool. Like, you know, yeah. uh, they weren't all walking around with all tatted up, ready to shoot someone. That wasn't the game. Exactly. They, they wouldn't have done it up there because it was, it was that's where you went for entertainment. You went yeah. there for respectability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and like Sammy Lee also started like girls with Abe, which is always the most amazing kind of point that everyone everyone always thinks of Sammy Lee and Abe Saffron as these awful gangsters and then all of a sudden they started this cultural revolution with Lay Girls and Carlotta and basically built turn, paved the way for queer Sydney to kind of totally become this amazing hotbed of talent and creativity and essentially Priscilla came from well, my, Sammy my, Lee my, and Abe Saffron. I went to school in Bankstown and, uh, and, and it's, it's interesting, I, I, my first... 
a girlfriend and, and she became my wife, but I met her at school. She was a year below me. And, but she knew stuff that I had no idea about. Right. So, and then she introduced me to, um, lay girls and she introduced me to, uh, the paddings in town hall, which, you know, like I was a kid from myself playing footy, like I, like I had no idea. And she took me to, um, did you get a Mardi Gras party? There was no, what, the Mardi Gras wasn't there, but, but at that stage, but there was queer nights. So there, yeah. at the Paddington Town Hall, once a month, there was a, like, go drinking, dancing, music, shit like yeah. that. And, like, the first time I went there, like, I got the yeah. shock of my life. Like, you would have been I, eating alive. I've never seen anything like this before in my life, right? Like, fucking blokes walking around in <laughs> women's clothes and what, what the hell. And, uh, like, I'm a kid from a Greek family. Like, what the hell? Yeah, like, yeah. I had not a clue, right? But over time, I, I got to uh, get to understand it. And, and, and she introduced me to this stuff and uh, – and then one night she took me to lay girls and uh, Carlotta was there and um, basically uh, my memory of it was um, men dressed up like women um, but uh, miming songs. Yeah, from the Great Divas. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, we were sitting in the audience drinking cocktails, which is pretty cool. But it was a really nice good night out entertainment. It was cool. I, and I can see Dulcies there. Yeah, they were all there, yeah. standing around there smoking cigarettes at the bar. <laughs> yeah. That's who I think they Just are. Just getting, yeah. like, trashed on, like, their fourth martini and But stuff. talking, but really interesting. They were interesting, clever, yeah. experienced, uh, cool people. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, and we don't get enough of that today. Yeah. Well, maybe it exists. I don't see it. I think for a long time, in, certainly in Sydney hospitality, we, we followed this I've got my own thoughts. I think we've always been a pub town. I think the idea of big beer barns and stuff have always been the the easy solution to getting people to drink and have a have an enjoyable night out. And that's more about getting pissed. Yeah, and I think when no entertainment, no, absolutely not. And I think when the Olympics came, um, it only exemplified that because all of a sudden they were the places that could take everyone in, and so we kind of went from being pub town to nightclub town because everyone got used to this idea of. Like we've got double decker trains, so the whole city's built for like building everyone together and then doing something with that large amount of people and then getting rid of them really quickly. Fill it up and empty them out. Yeah, and I think it's only now, um, and especially with what Justin Hems has started to do and changing the way that we perceive nighttime um, food and beverage, you kind of start getting to that point where we're getting those finer grains in there, so small bars, and we're going back to those days of Sammy Lee and opening these really interesting places that maybe focus on different spirits or entertainment and stuff like that. So we're now starting to get to that Melbourne, Sydney. Well, can you explain to me, I mean, you, you, I mean, this is your game. Um, yeah. And, and I've, been out, I've been out of this for a long time and I, mean, I, I have no interest, to be frank with you, to go out. I just, yeah. you know, because my, my world's changed. Yeah. But can you, but this is your game. So can you explain to me and explain to the audience, because I really want to talk about Dulcie because it, it elicits in my mind uh, something yeah. It's, but it's old school. Yeah. Dulcie takes me back. Yeah. 40 years. But I think it, it, it really goes back to that idea of uh, hospitality is quite powerful. Um, it's a it's an equalizer, but it's also a way to like highlight and, and level up certain interactions that people have. And the more control you have over those kind of spaces in a city, I think the more political sway you start having. Is it some powerful, you know, like because I remember Fred Nile used to carry on about the cross all the time and he was a senator in New South Wales. Yeah. And he, and it was it became his platform. They and, used it as a platform and, of course, it makes, makes a bit of noise. And especially King's Cross. King's Cross, I think, has always been, when I first went, I remember talking to a friend of mine who worked at the Wayside Chapel and he said, Anyone ever, if a child ever went missing in Australia, the first place they would check would be King's Cross. Um, mainly because of the lights and everyone knew it. So it was a beacon of, within Australia as this 
escape or this this kind of neon Disneyland of well, exciting. Yeah, it sounds. <laughs> that's why I went there. Um, it, and it, and it was this place that if you were able to play by the rules, you became part of something that was maybe bigger than the small town that you grew up in, or um, you had access and opportunity to things that never were presented to you before. And and to me, that's part of the excitement of it all. That, yeah. I love the stories around these. And uh, when I saw that I was interviewing you today, when I saw Dulcie's King's Cross, I immediately got sort of, um, I know King's Cross, I haven't been there for a long time. I don't go there much. But like I keep thinking of old King's Cross. How did you and why did you decide to do this? So what is it that you decided to, I mean, is it, did you just pick a pretty good name or did you actually want to bring back something? Uh, look, I, I think I always wanted to open a bar. Um, everyone wants to open a bar. Everyone wants to open a bar. I've tried and I've failed. Yeah. It's, and it's really tough. Um, but for me, the first part was about finding a location. Uh, we looked everywhere. You got a bar background. What's the deal? Yeah. So I used to work in hospitality and work in theater. So th- I think the two of them go hand in hand. 100%. Off the, well, off the, and while I was studying, I was also working in hospitality. I started working at 14 and nine months in a, in a restaurant in Canberra. Um, I got a very hard and straightforward education in hospitality as opposed to what people would get if they went to McDonald's and began as a line cook and moved up and, and kind of did that micromanagement thing. I got thrust upon with the same kind of responsibility that you would give maybe a 20-year-old. And, and it was a, a really good learning. Like I really appreciated it and it made me kind of really – enjoy that side of hospitality, understand that there was a bigger world that you could do things with and and not just kind of focus and pinpoint it into one way. Tell me about the theatre bit. I guess everyone grows up and wants to be like an actor or something and I grew up and wanted to be a set designer. Um, I really love the worlds that set designers and, and theatre and, and film designers could create. Is that from your parents? Where does that come Definitely from? Definitely not. No. Um, I don't know what it was. I think it, I just wanted to escape and I wanted to create like beautiful worlds. And um, I was very lucky to have an amazing set of grandparents who had access to old parts of Sydney and you'd go to these old houses in Vaucluse or you'd go to old uh, buildings and and they were desperate to kind of expose this world to me and show me the beauty and the and the grandeur of like times past. And I think through that and that kind of mythology um, and fantasy, I developed an interest in and in, in desire to replicate and build on that sense of nostalgia that comes from those buildings. So through design and stuff, I was like, ah, oh, this is what I want to do. And I went and applied for NIDA and design. And the guy that took my design thing was like, you want to be a director, you don't want to be a designer. And I went back and I was a little bit devastated. I didn't get the the, the position at NIDA. And I started thinking about what he said and and why he said it. And I started to really resonate with that fact and understood that maybe it wasn't about creating the look. It was about facilitating the world. So it was about building a, a, a bigger narrative and a bigger story. and Or creating the theatre of Yeah, it and not just in a sense of being in a room with no, no, no. seats and a stage. It's it, like Being theatrical. There is a really beautiful world around us and you're talking about the idea of the old cross. People don't remember the actual night the the night and day of what they did when they went to the cross, they remember an energy and an atmosphere and and they'll often fill in the the, the gaps um, with kind of a, a beautiful false memory that was enhanced by the world around them. But it's real too. If it's yeah. your memory, it's real. Can I can totally. I can I can I just quickly ask you a question? Yeah. What what is, what would be your favorite movie? 
Have you seen the Once Upon a Time Hollywood recently? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, th- that's sort of bringing that back stuff. the shit yeah. back. I mean, I know it's about something that's not that's such a great story, the real re- the real story behind it, but the theatre of the, the movie and all those The concepts offsets. and stuff like that. So they, when you, given that you've grown up with your grandparents yeah. um, and they did expose you to places in Vaucluson, because I want to just tell you, there there was a house many years ago, there, there's some great houses in Vaucluson, but there was a house in Vaucluse, Watson's Bay, um, which was on the, the beach of Camp Cove there, which was owned by and built by the, um, the one of the Grace people from Grace Brothers. Yeah. And they built this house and it was Spanish. It was a Spanish-looking house from the outside, you know, big block of land. It was obviously worth a lot of money. But inside the house, um, all the walls were tiled, tiled um, in the um, – the family rooms, et cetera, and kitchens, but they had all these beautiful Italian tiles and Spanish tiles and Portuguese tiles. It was just unbelievable. It was like, well, That color, sounds like Boomerang design. as well. Well, Boomerang's a great example yeah. in Elizabeth Bay, like one of the greatest examples. In, and Boomerang still exists, yeah. by the way, and had some amazing stories attached to it too, of owners like Warren Anderson, et cetera. So yeah. there's amazing stories attached to it. Um, but this house in Grace, this Grace home um, is an example of what you're talking about. We don't seem to see these houses built anymore. Um, they build beautiful houses today, but not like this. Theatre. Do they build beautiful houses these days? I think the uh, – Spaces. The spaces yeah. are beautiful, but but but, in, but but this is – they don't build the theatre. The, the, yeah. The, the, the theatrical side of these beautiful houses are taking us back to the 40s and 50s and 60s, a bit like some of those that real estate you see in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. So my, for me – when we go and look at King's Cross, we think of, um, you know. That whole street, though, is riddled with some of the best architecture unru- in this country. And real uh, Art Deco stuff. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. Why is it that you have been infiltrated with all this this sense and and you're trying to take it into, put it into one small thing called Dulcies? I mean, because I, I, it looks like to me you're packing in a whole lot of yeah. stuff and you're compressing it. Into Dulcie's King's Cross. Yeah. That's what I feel. We don't have it anymore. Um, especially why in you? Sydney. why you? Because I, I like it and I'm passionate about it. Why, I, why, why, why? Why do you like it? Why are you passionate? What is it, what is it that gets your goosebumps? Why, why do you love it? It just shows you've got a bigger there, – there's more to the world. Um, and and it, it shows the interconnectedness of um, the little people in the past and the, and the places and the faces that changed the culture that we currently now live in. So our cocktail list, for example, is all of the is named off people and places that define Sydney's culture, um, and it's a but way. Why of are you of, doing that? Do you, do you think we haven't got enough um, interesting stuff going on? I mean, correct. I, I don't. Are we too engineered? Are you I, like, I, look, I, I don't think that same, we. Same. I think everyone's desperate to be the new big thing. I think you get developers who want to knock down and build new new buildings to celebrate their own kind of creativity. Also, but also more yield. Yeah, give me more yield. Totally. I need. I got twenty apartments. On there. I need fifty. Yeah. And I need them smaller yep. and I need to build them all out of concrete because it's cheaper and it's faster and yep. it's more efficient. And that's going to be – but that's still going to be my legacy package. So is, is it – we're talking about technology versus beauty or theatre or, or – Not necessarily. Uh, I think it's just more people. More people, more desire. There's like obviously the idea of capitalism where you, the more people there are spending money, the more that there's success. Um, but I just don't think that we really acknowledge uh, – because we move at such a fast pace – where we came from and why we came from there. And I think when you start looking at all the problems that we have now, there are solutions 10, 15, 20 years ago that you can draw from and, and, and kind of engage with that we just 
often lose track of and 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 pretend as though they they don't exist. So, well, and a lot of that stuff is being exacerbated with the COVID. Okay, just tell me about pre-COVID. Dulcie's King's Cross. What mm-hmm. were you doing pre-COVID? Before COVID. Before COVID. Well, we haven't really changed that much. The one thing we did, we were able to do, was petition. Um, Alex Greenwich to change the liquor laws to do takeaway and delivery. And that was our big pivot. And that's what saved us through COVID. Um, there's some minor alterations bef- after, but before COVID, we were Sydney's first 100% Australian craft spirits bar. So everything that we sell, everything that we use is all Australian made. In terms of spirits? Everything. Well, yeah. So wine, the, spirit, the- food, a lot of the stuff that we make syrups and sugars and stuff out of all come from Australia. So we were pretty hard... Line in in everything came from the island. But what's the demand? I mean, who- there wasn't. But it's a market that just existed that I didn't understand why. Like we, I went around the country and looked at distilleries solely because they're in the country and I could visit them and I had an interest in how people were making liquor. Um, what I was finding is that going to the bars after those distilleries in places like regional Victoria, Tasmania, Adelaide, you look at the back bar of any kind of bar and. It's about 60%, uh, 40 to 60% would be Australian. So you'd see products up there that would be using uh, Australian agave to make tequilas or mezcals and things like that. You'd see Australian barley being used. Um, you'd see Australian rye, whiskies, things like that. And you started to kind of really see the flavour of those local areas and in the way that they produce. So South Australia, for instance, is a huge grape region. So a lot of their spirits are grape-based, which changes the flavour of not only their whiskies, rums and, and things like that, but you can see a, a local methodology to the way that they do it. Um, you come back to Sydney and it was like maximum 5% of the back bars would be Australian. When you say back bar, you mean behind behind me at the bar. Yeah, so, so all on the, the wall, premium stuff. You might yeah. see uh, three, four of the four pillars gin. Yeah. But the rest of the gins the are- The rest is like English. Sapphire, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's but, all Bombay Sapphire, which, is, which are great gins, but- I didn't understand why Sydney didn't have an affinity with local products. Well, is that, is that the proprietor or is that the customer? It's it, it's the proprietor and the customer. I think in Sydney we're very brand loyal um, and we're also very used to what we know. So, for instance, the, I always use the example of a Hendrix and Tonic. People know that Hendrix and Tonic is going to be $14. A Hendrix and Tonic is very different to just ordering a Bombay Sapphire. So already there's a sense of cultural capital where people go, oh, have you tried this cucumber gin with a slice of fresh cucumber in it? And people are like, oh, no, that's fascinating. Um, but you also know that every bar is going to have it. Now, that bottle of Hendrix probably costs $3 to make overseas. It's then imported here. It then gets an excise tax put on it. But it still makes it cheaper than a locally made product. My thing was we have an equivalent of every single back bar product it made in Australia somewhere and somehow. Um, why can't we y- use those products? And showcase them in a way that is it pricer? Yeah, it's it's still really expensive, um, and that just comes down to the fact that it's a really new market. And is that because I mean you you've obviously know people why they drink habits habits drink habits, yeah. but is that because people just want to get pissed and quickly and go like give me the I want to have six six or seven gins um, yeah. and I've got I don't know hundred bucks to spend, but, I, but I, that hundred bucks only gets me three maybe of the, of the more sort of um, locally produce stuff? I mean, what, Not necessarily. Co- so we, we, we're able to, because of negotiation, we're quite lucky because we go through quite a lot of product that our well spirits, so the, the, the stuff that you'd make easy gin and tonics and house spirits are all Australian and, and are kind of comparable to, let's say, a Jose Cuervo first pour or like a Kettle One vodka. So we're, we're lucky that we have 
even the chance at buying good Australian products at an equal price. This is at your bar. Yeah. But for a lot of people, it's just you can't compare. You can't buy a bottle of Tanqueray gin and then buy an Australian gin and say that they're in any of the same league other than quality and taste. You mean Um, in terms of price? Well, no, like their quality and taste are the same, but the prices are completely different. Yeah, one's much cheaper. One's $45 and the other one's 86 Yeah, yeah. So you start sitting there going, well, there's essentially the same product, but because of whatever machinations in their own separate industries, they're just inflated or, or deflated in, in, in price and cost. So, yeah, like the, a lot of that has to do with that, but it also has to do with it would be cheaper if there was more support. So if more people were drinking the Nostrafatu cucumber gin instead of Hendrix, that might come down. Yeah, because we'd be going to produce more. Yeah, exactly. Like there's more capacity for production, which means that the price comes down. We're starting to see a better production facility be put in place, which isn't as costly. This is more about, this is more than just Dulcies at uh, King's Cross. This is more about uh, who's leading the charge here in Sydney for um, uh, looking after or promoting or encouraging Australian local producers to produce more local stuff. Yeah. To such an extent that we can actually produce enough of that we can produce at the right price line. Yeah. I mean, and and, 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 and that's a big story. I mean, the big story right now is uh, consume Australian. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky. I can afford it. But, like, what I'd like to be able to say is, you know, we, we, we support our own stuff. Yeah. We have got the best quality stuff. I want to come back and talk about that sort of yeah. stuff. But I, I also want to talk about your pivot uh, for Dulcie's um, – I just love that name, Dulcie's. Um, but uh, I, I want to talk about your pivot um, into uh, home delivery. Yeah. And or I pick up. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, and I want to. I actually want to talk about how have councils or whoever it is licensing people allowed you to do that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I mean, because oh, if I'd have, if you had if you had thought about doing that two years ago, yeah. you you can't do that. If you thought about doing that, how long have we been in COVID? Seven months. Yeah. If you thought of doing that seven months in one day. Ago, they would have laughed in your You'd face. You'd be arrested. Yeah. So we'll go to the break. We'll come straight back. So I'm back here with Brand Martinego, and uh, he is the founder, I guess you're the founder, right? Eh? Founder yeah. of Dulcie's King's Cross. We talked about, um, you know, the evocative name Dulcie's and, and King's Cross is equally evocative. You know, Brandon's got a bar in the King's Cross and they make all sorts of uh, cocktails, I guess is the best way to describe it. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, um, cocktails. Um, but, of course, you've been confronted with uh, things like lockdowns and lockdowns create well, – lockdowns by themselves of necessity um, need you to become creative and you've created something to get yourself out of that. What did you do? We opened in the actual King's Cross lockdown. So for us, we'd already gone through the process the of King's having – The King's Cross lockdown. Yeah. Not, not – not, not the, yeah, the, so the, the lockout. Let's call it the lockout. Lockout. The first lockout, um, it was obviously the cheapest rent for a bar. We redid the entire bar. We built up a customer base. We changed our customer base uh, forever unexpected. We're in an old strip club as well. So, so explain what, exactly where it is, like physically. Opposite McDonald's on Darlinghouse Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so next to the old bank hotel. Um, we, it used to be an old strip club, Stripperama. It had no legal licenses to sell alcohol. It had no DA. Um even the landlords had said they weren't. They hadn't been allowed down while there was people in there for thirty years. It was rough. Um, we've heard stories about three girls a month would be found dead in the back laneway um, on average. Yeah, um, there was a lot of heroin that went through the building when we did renovations. We found about thirty years worth of needles stuffed in roof crevices and things like that. 
so we kind of had to change the whole narrative and the, the whole kind of public perception of what that space was. And obviously go back to that idea of introducing old King's Cross to a world that only knew new King's Cross. So obviously everyone left the area and no young people thought that it existed anymore. And they said, King's Cross is dead. So we fought against that. Um, essentially what it came down to was the, the, the locals who had for years avoided Darling House Road were suddenly drinking martinis till 2am in our basement, um, which is incredible. Like it, it was just an instant change and we built up a very strong clientele. What sort of license did you have? Uh, we had to get a small bar, which yeah. is the only license you can get in King's Cross at the moment. Because a small bar. You don't have to eat. And, you don't have to eat at the same no. time. You can just drink. Yeah. So we're. I think we're the only. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're the only small bar and we're the first new license in 15 years that went into King's Cross. So we are the only place that sells just straight liquor. I think everyone else has like a food component to their stuff, but it means that we can serve shots and, and gla- you do it in glassware and stuff like that. So the small bar license really helped us create that spirit and that energy that was really integral to going back to the old idea of the cross. We built a bar from scratch and I had no idea how to build a bar from scratch. So it was definitely a learning curve. Engaging with uh, local politicians and stuff who were really trying to push back against the idea of more bars, local residents associations. What do they want there, though? They Especially don't during the lockout. As someone that's been there for two years, I don't think they know what they want right. there. Um, I think they want to keep old buildings, maintain facades, and just tell everyone to go home at 9 p.m. But it started to change and people are really... It doesn't it, make sense, though. No, it doesn't. It has... I have no idea. I think people are fearful of going back to what it was at its worst. When so the bikes were all turning up. And when there was, was 45,000 people there on a Friday night. Couldn't get home. And you had a snake of cars going down to the wharf. Like it it was ludicrous. Yeah. Um, so they're terrified that that's going to come back. But it's just about re-education and letting the neighbourhood know that it wasn't going to be that. So then after we built up that clientele, we kind of got to a really good point. How did you get your clientele? I mean, how did you tell everybody come and have a drink here at Dulcie's King's Cross. We didn't have that much money to do media, so we did a, a, a bit of a PR push when we first opened, but we left the rest to word of mouth and local kind of Facebook groups in order to to spread that hopeful word of mouth. So there is local, like, Potts Point. Potts Point. The yeah. Potts Pointers. Yeah, yeah. They've got money and there's plenty of them. Yeah. And, there's, and they're all there's, looking for someone to go to. There's 9,000 people on a Facebook group that seem to be sitting there every day, yeah, yeah. every hour of the day. Um. And so we kind of had to have a good product in order to get that positive word of mouth because we had no control over anything else 
All we needed to do was make sure that people had a good experience. And so we just noticed that we had more people coming through the doors every day. So can I just explain? Like if I walk, when you say a good experience, so I walk in there, walk downstairs. Yeah. And so instantly when, what's you walk down, what, what do I get? Uh, 1920s kind of bohemian drinking parlour, so wooden panels, dark walls, lampshades with tassels, things like that. Uh, older style music, um, a lot of Scott Bradley's modern play, jukebox, whatever it's called. It already creates an evocative sense that a different time period. What's it smell like? Well, it depends on the, the weather of the time sometimes because it's an old building. But what do I, what do I kind of smell when I walk down? Like scents. I mean, the old days it would have been cigarettes, but like. Yeah, what, what, I think these cigars? days we do a lot of house infusions. So some days it could be pineapple rum. Some days it could be like a three spice sugar syrup that's been um, brought to the boil. And smells bring up a conjure things up straight in my Totally, mind. totally. And it's one of the things that I really wanted to get to when we went down. There's a lot of, we have a lot of candles down there. So often you get that kind of smoky candle smell. I wish we could do more, but you know, fire regulation. And then what? And then okay, what am I going to get in front of me? Like visually, what's my visual? It's a bit like it's a it's obviously a bit of a dimly lit bar, more like that Baxter's uh, Lobo Plantation, that really kind of low lighting, good date. What colours are going to hit me? Blues, uh, dark reds. You've got a bit of browns from all the woods. Definitely nothing too modern and fresh, and it's all that kind of muted tones of. Faded luxury and glamour. And then what am I gonna what am I gonna get in my ear? Probably one of my staff members greeting you. These days we have to go through a whole rigmarole of scanning people in and that's a nightmare. That's a punish, yeah. It's awful. It kills the event, but anyway. It's, it's definitely not a vibe. Please bring your phone out <laughs> yeah. here and scan that. Hello, welcome to Old Timey Bob. Get your phone scanner QR code, yeah. go up the stairs because we don't have reception. Um but essentially, you sit down. For us, it's about making you is feel. Is it noisy though? Like one minute, but is it, is there no, lots of people talking or is it a fit low hum? Sixty, and because we're like because of the the way that the old strip club was built, we have different booths, so it's kind of a, a bit of a uh, a theatre style raked seating with booths that separate noise. It's very. We don't have the music so loud. Uh, we know our clientele is often of a certain age that prefers more quieter, intimate settings. We're all about talking. There's no reception in the Do basement. Do I have to go to the bar or you come to me? We come to you. It's all table yeah, so, service. And then I, am I presented with a... a you are given a menu. Yep. Um, before COVID and before we had to laminate everything, we used to have a menu with 10 signatures, which had uh, the name of the cocktail, what's in the cocktail, and then the history behind the name. So we were able to kind of like present those histories and the things that inspired... So story there. Yeah, and allowing people to read that. And while not everyone did... For the people that did really read them and take notice of them, it was actually quite rewarding for them um, and for us for putting in the work. So give me an example of uh, what I mean. Did you have, um, you know. Um, my favourite drink. So we've got two. We've got the Carousel Club and okay. my favourite used to be the Burnham Down Dawn. And the Carousel Club is obviously named after what the Empire was, where mm-hmm. Lay Girls is. And that's made with like a, a Pavlova vodka with poor Tom's Imbroglio and blah, 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 lemon juice. But the story that we put in there is that the Carousel Club was the place that Sammy Lee and Abe Saffron started to start like girls. It's also the place that Winita Nelson went missing. Um, it's just up the road. It gives you a sense of like, rather than sitting there going, oh, I'll just get an old fashioned. It's like, why is it named an old fashioned? What's the reasoning behind it? And and so I think peppering peppering our menu with these little stories and stuff like that gave people a bit more kind of ownership over it. I'd notice a lot that customers would come back and be telling their friends the stories and they'd be like, oh, you've got to get this drink because it's named after Dawn O'Donnell. She was famous for burning down all her pubs. 
And it's and it's kind of amazing to see that investment from these customers and allowing them to really kind of access a certain part of history that they never would have known or cared about because they're quite obscure stories and really kind of take ownership of them again. I think it's cool. Like, it's, yeah. I want to try it out, but just let's go back and say, what happened? To, what I'll, happened? So basically we were building up a really good clientele and then COVID hit. Um, Literally. Yeah. Within maybe like three days, everything changed. Um and I remember noticing what was happening around the world. I think Australia was obviously quite far behind. And uh, I lived and worked in New York for a bit and have quite a good network of people in New York uh, from who are now in very good positions. And one of those friends was a guy by the name of Leo who is the food and beverage manager for Nomad. And he was, show, he was sharing uh, news reports about uh, Cuomo changing the legislation to allow takeaway and delivery cocktails. I looked that up a bit more and they were doing it in Beijing. Um, in Beijing. And, and Shanghai as well. They've got a, um, an amazing cocktail culture. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just don't understand. Well, I don't Me, know the Chinese I, culture. But it's, yeah. I didn't ever think that it was a big cocktail kind of place, but they do. Look, I think because of the expat communities there, they have these beautiful old Shanghai-style bars. Um, and they were doing the same similar thing. And I remember sending Alex Greenwich a message and this is just as the fear was starting to lock in and he went to dinner and he was like, everyone should go to dinner and support the restaurants. And I was a bit like, I'd love you to say the same thing about bars, but I also have a feeling that if we ever go into lockdown, have a look at this piece of legislation because it may allow, because I think he was talking about like you can take away and you can support different venues by doing that and bars just didn't have that opportunity. So I sent him a message with all these kind of legislations and, and, and screenshots from the way that they were doing it around the world. And I was like, is this a possibility? But I remember Alex saying, if this was any other time, you would be laughed out of parliament. It wouldn't even be an option. Going against liquor licensing in, a, in New South Wales is like sitting there saying you're going to close schools for the rest of their days. And he took it to, I think, Dominello, and he picked it up and ran with it. And it was one of the first times I've ever seen government and legislation act so fast and so swiftly. He said the same thing. He was like, two days ago, this would never have flown and there would have never have even been an open door to discuss this. So we kind of had a bit of a, um, a heads up and they changed the laws overnight. So essentially what um, every, every venue that sold liquor and had a liquor license had the ability to become an off-premise license as well, which, which means, means that you can buy anything from a cocktail or a bottle of wine or a bottle of vodka if you really wanted to and you could operate like a bottle shop and um, you could take that away and you can deliver it and and the regulation around that kind of went into a bit of a grey area and a soft spot. It's still in there now so I don't know how long this is going to last for but it's... <laughs> We're going to milk it. But how, how, I mean, so what, how does it work? So we, we changed everything. We, I'm really lucky that I had, my housemate is incredible. He does all of our websites and stuff like that. And he was able to listen to what we were going to do and go online and work out how to make it work digitally. So you could go onto our website. We had a shop instantly set up and integrated into our normal website which um, went into apps that notified all of the staff. Were they working at the premises? or? Yeah, so yeah. my main thing was if we went into a lockdown, I wanted to make sure that we looked after our staff and kept them employed. I've got one girl who's sponsored um, and then I had two others at the time as well that I needed to make sure were maintaining their hours. And this is long before JobKeeper was even being discussed. 
And so when the lockdown did happen, everyone just retreated to their homes. We were able to publicize and push out all the information about takeaway and delivery cocktails. We were featured, obviously, through Alex's support in a lot of uh, Sydney Morning Herald articles, uh, Daily Telegraph. Anyone who wanted to talk about how to do bottled cocktails, we were the first in line. They were bo- actually bottled? Originally they were because I was like, ah, oh, yes, I'm going to order all these bottles. But then I think because of Melbourne and everyone else had already started buying 100 mil bottles, I don't think anyone ever kept the amount of 100 mil bottles in the country to sustain what then would become a cocktail revolution of takeaway and delivery cocktails. So I put an order in that didn't show up. And on the day that we were supposed to launch, I was supposed to have 600 100 mil bottles delivered to my bar and a couple of 500 uh, mil bottles, like cases and cases and cases, and they just never appeared. So we had $6,000 worth of orders that had been lodged throughout the day that were for the first night of our takeaway cocktail and delivery service. So I had to go down to QCC, buy a backpack bag and sealer and learn how to backpack and bag and seal cocktails. Put in a plastic pl- bag. Yeah. So we had branding already built up for labels that would go on the bottles and we just had to repurpose them to go on these things. But it was like an, I think every everything changed and our delivery model changed within 30 minutes. So we had a plan. That plan then got thrown out by even more delays because of COVID and so we had to instantly adapt again. And it was lucky that they were even, the guys at QCC were open, that they had the bags, that they had the sealer, and we used it. It meant that we could cut down on costs of the actual individual drinks, which meant we could bring the price down. Um, it meant that it was probably more uh, COVID-friendly because there wasn't the idea of reusing bottles like we had originally discussed. It was a bit funky too, like it's yeah. in a bag. It was very futuristic. Like it was, yeah. And, and we made it so that all you had to do was eat, uh, pour it over ice. Um, so it had already been di- diluted to the right amount that it would be in the bar. You could shake it if you needed to. Uh, and we had all the instructions. So we gave people the cocktail in the bag with the label. And on the label, it gave you the alcohol percentage, the obviously the, the liquid volume, all of our names from the bar as to who it was made by, um, and obviously the name of the drink and ingredients. Then they got a uh, like a, a coaster from the bar as well for every drink that they ordered so they could feel like they were part of the experience still. And then we gave them like a little instruction card. So it had, again, the name of the drink, the history behind the drink, uh, the instructions for how to, to make the drink and serve the drink, and then just like a thank you from us as well. So it really kind of allowed people to have ownership over what – they would otherwise experience at the bar and take it home and do that. And how did you do the delivery? I mean, how did you do the fulfilment piece? Uh, we did. You we physically did. did. Yeah, yeah. You just so got we, in your car and you drive off and deliver yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And we limited it to, because we're in King's Cross, we limited it to 2010 and 2011 postcodes, so Darlinghurst, Surrey Hills, um, and then all of that area, which is the King's Cross Spots Point, Elizabeth Bay. We had a couple of people push it. Like there were people who were like, oh, I'm in Piermont and – You'd be like, fuck it, like, I'll just go do it. Um, and then they'd push it more and they'd be like, oh, I'm in neutral bay. And you'd be like, fuck it, all right, let's do it. And at that point, you're just doing anything to kind of make sure you give customers what they want and and give yourself a job, essentially. And that was kind of working quite well. Um, and it allowed us to pay our staff for wages that they would otherwise be um, working uh, and then pay our suppliers. And our landlords were amazing. They understood the reality of what was going on. We have a 
boarding house above us that just did a runner and closed the doors one day and just dropped the keys off through the letterbox of our landlords and we're like, see ya. So I think they really understood that if they didn't want a situation where they were going into a pandemic and their their premises would be vacant for who knows how long, uh, that they needed to come to the party. And they really, really did. And I don't think that we would be alive without that that change. Um, so it was good to see other other parts of our business adapting and changing. Uh, our, our distributors did the same thing. Um, but it became difficult being all Australian because while everyone closed up, I think about 85% of Sydney bars, like that's just in the CBD and the, the immediate surrounds, they shut. So all of a sudden the distributors that we would use to deliver booze had to let go of like thousands of staff who were otherwise facilitating this. So around the country, uh, I think one of our distributors like let go 2,000 people. Another one stood down 3,000. So deliveries, orders, um, even them buying Australian products for us to buy from them became a nightmare. So you had to kind of really... So supply chain. Supply chain just like uh, there was none. So at times it was just like scraping at whatever you could to get what you could. There were that we were going to other bars in order to like buy their stock from them. What because they were closed. It was just a nightmare. And then when we all kind of kicked back up again and everyone started reopening their venues, it was amazing. Uh, it meant that we'd been able to reevaluate our price point. I was able to restructure our cost model, so I was able to lower the price of our drinks normally. So after coming out of lockdown, I, I looked at all these people who were doing out of sheer desperation, drinks for 10 bucks delivered to their door. I don't know how they're doing it. Um, especially when like, we, we bought a couple and we tasted them and there was a lot of questionable delivery cocktails out there on the market. And that was a little bit worrying because we'd never scrimped on it. So we, if you've got a martini from us, it was 60 mils of the base spirit, 10 mils of vermouth and the right dilution there was martinis that I 100% think were like 30 mils of vodka, 60 mils of vermouth. And you started like, that was the bad thing about this was that it became the Wild West and people were able to take full advantage of people locked in their apartment wanting cocktails delivered and for cheap prices. Uh, I always thought that if we were going to offer delivery cocktails and take away cocktails at a certain price, we couldn't go to a point of no return. So we couldn't go below a certain price point because then all of our customers would know that, well, if you can serve it in lockdown for $14, why can't you do that when I come into the venue? People don't really understand that there's a lot more to a venue than just the drinks and the costs associated. So we kept it at a certain price and I knowingly went into that price knowing that that was not my now, my normal. And I think when we came out of it, that lower price, because we were operating maybe for a house staple, so just like a Southside or a margarita, was 20 to $21 because of the Australian um, booze thing. Because of the lockdown need and the supplies that we were kind of going through, we were able to renegotiate a lot of our poor costs. And so it became cheaper for us. So we were able to pass that on to the customer. And when we opened again, people were desperate to go out. So we had like lines out the door. We went from... I think we went from 10 people to 15 and then we went to 25 with all the government in, in, increasing. In terms of spacing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 
it, it recharged us in a way that people suddenly were re-engaging with us and customers that had never known about our bar before knew about us through all the takeaway and delivery so stuff. So now, now no, you can, people can come to your bar, but what are you doing now? So you're doing all three. So you're doing home delivery. Are you doing home delivery still? I, can I go and get, just get, pop in yeah. and take a few away? And and or and serve in and, and drink like in, sit, sit down. Sit, yeah. yeah. So you do all three now. Yeah, I think uh, at first it terrified me. I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to put a whole delivery person on. I think Sydney's very happy to go outside their doors. I don't think they are happy to kind of stay where they are and just drink and, and wallow in their, their their one bedroom apartments without a kitchen. Um, so I'm very lucky in my area that everyone goes out and eats and drinks. So the the demand for the delivery and the takeaway cocktails kind of went down. These days, uh, people do take away, but it's because they're having, they've gone for a walk, they've bought their Bistro Rex takeaway or Apollo, they pick up a couple of cocktails from us or a bottle of wine, and then they go home and celebrate the way that they want to do it. Um, if we've got lines and people don't want to wait, uh, they often will be like, fuck it, we'll just buy some of your drinks and we'll take it home anyway because we don't want to wait in line to get in. And then as well, like, we don't sell wine by the glass at the moment because we're not going through enough of it. But if you buy a bottle, you can take that bottle away with you, which otherwise would never normally legally be allowed. So it's like if I'm holding a function yeah. at my house, which by the way is very rare, but if I was, <laughs> um, I could ring you up and say, listen, I want, yeah. uh, I want uh, give me 20 of those bags because I've got 20, uh, 10 people and we're going to do two cocktails each before yeah. dinner starts. And can you send me a waiter? Yeah, we could, we've done that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That also allowed us to diversify into that exact yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So catering. we were sort of catering. Yeah, like boost catering. catering. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we were like doing it so that we do it for Van Cleef, uh, Van Cleef and Atfell as well. So once a fortnight, we go down there and take a, a whole heap of pre-batch cocktails and make martinis and stuff like that. And it just really changed our thought process on how Is we can do it. People. Yeah. 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 What do they, um, they give a drink to everyone who comes in to join or something? For their VIP nights and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's pretty smart. Actually, it, that's pretty cool. It's amazing. And yeah. it, what it does is it allows that kind of cross-pollination of people where these guys are coming in and otherwise they would normally get a, a glass of champagne on the house. They're now able to come in and, and have an Australian cocktail. Yeah, 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 totally. You give um, them a list of five that they can choose from. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and I, we also started scaling up as well. So rather than single serves, we started going into 500 mils or 750 mils. So you're able to get like essentially a party pack or we call them survival kits. <laughs> so we had like 500 mil Negroni kits and people could buy those and you could have them for a dinner party or you could just sit at home and drink a 500 mil of Negroni by yourself. Yeah. In my case, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be on my cap badge. <laughs> so so th- 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 this yeah. is a fascinating, um, people don't realise, I mean, we just look at it as a simple home delivery of your cocktail and we, yeah. and we just take it for granted, but people don't realise all the thinking and all the development that went into that, like looking at what they're doing in New York and, uh, you know, having to get approval processes here and, uh, you know, their delivery. So we had to like scale out all of our drinks back to make sure that they were deliverable and people, if people were keeping them in their fridge for four days. Packaging, the whole game. Like that's been pretty amazing. And then also making sure it's properly marketed too because you just want to go, here's a plastic bag full of value booze. You know, you've got to. It's like you've got to do something about it. You've got to say, here's a story and here's a coaster and this, by the way, is us and – it's got to be delivered on time and all that sort of stuff. And, and you know, the fulfillment piece is really, really ridiculous um, in terms of hard, ha- yeah. hard to get sorted. I mean, like and hard to do properly and hard to do efficiently and hard to do in a way that you still make money or at least keep, at least break, break even. even. <laughs> That's all you want to do then during the survival period of COVID, yeah. you want to break even. Um, but I always give her an opportunity to ask me a question. Well, you got a question for me. Yeah, my question was how do you see the future of 
of food and beverage in maybe Sydney, maybe Australia? And what do you think are the things that we're going to have to start overcoming as a as an industry to acknowledge and fix those problems before they arise? I, I don't think, I think you can't expect people to come to you. And I think you've got to expect a, a mix of you going to people as well as people coming to you, but also taking the whole experience with you. Like, uh, I mean, I, I, I won't go out now um, so much because um, I'm in that age category where I probably shouldn't be get doing that. Um, that's one. I don't know if it's all bullshit or not. I don't know, but I'm just, I guess I'm just being cautious. Mm. I'm one of your customers because I can afford it. Yeah. You know, like, and I do indulge myself. I don't want to have a thousand drinks. I want to have yeah. two or three, um, but I want to drink something new. But new doesn't mean something I haven't drank before, but I, I want to have a different experience. Yeah. So I want the theatre of it. I love the theatre of things. I actually really appreciate the theatre. I love history, history yeah. stuff. So I'm a typical customer of yours, um, but I probably won't go there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking now that I would, but when it comes down to it, I prob- at the night, I'll probably half I, I, I'll, but what I, what I would do is I'd say as a surprise to somebody who might be hanging out with me, um, uh, why don't I get someone from your place to come over to my place and bring the booze. I'm in twenty thirty, by the way, so I'm a little bit out of sight territory. But I, but I'm happy to pay extra. I'd say, listen, come to twenty thirty, I'll pay extra. Yeah, if make, it's make twenty bucks extra to get there, so what? You know, yeah. bring your stuff and bring someone who can actually tell us a bit of a story, like yeah. a demo, not a demo, but you know, what I mean, entertain me a little bit, tell me a story. One hundred percent. So I think that's a big game, especially yeah. in Sydney, and there's money here. People love that sort of stuff, and it's something different. I mean, I might invite. To my mates over, they might bring their wives, um, you know, and I might have some with me too. And there's six of us, and uh, and I might be going to cook pizzas, yeah, in my pizza oven outside, just as a bit of fun. But wouldn't it be cool to have some really exotic, well, not exotic, yeah, exotic stuff? No, it is. I think cocktails, I, yeah, not the glass of wine that I typically will pour out of my cellar or a beer, whatever. People might still drink that, but let's kick it off with a bit something a bit funny and a bit unusual, a bit, yeah. a bit cool, um, yeah. with a story. That's a totally. that's a cheap knife for me to entertain some people who I want to entertain. Yeah. I might be trying to do a business deal or I just might want to have some of my mad mates over just for do something a bit different for us because they've got little kids and they're sick of having to be stuck at home with little kids all the time and, and <laughs> yeah. picking up Lego off the floor. Um, There's also a privacy thing too. Like we've done uh, for private clients who can't go out. So it's amazing for us to have that opportunity of bringing them a – Personalized bartender to their. Well, I'm a bit that um, way. I, I like, I, tr- I, yeah, I'm a bit that way because I'm a little bit sort of precious about people coming and talking to me and talking shit to me. You yeah. know, like I don't really want to have to people talk stuff to me. I mean, <laughs> I, I do enough of this as it is. Yeah. I just want to go and have a bit of fun and enjoy myself. Um, uh, and I, I reckon that's a big game to me. To, I yeah. mean, and I, I think going forward, I think uh, for pe- people like you, you're selling the experience, you're selling the theater. Yeah. I love the idea of selling theater. Yeah. And you know, I don't want to have to just go to King's Cross because you're never going to recreate King's Cross into what yeah, it was. Exactly. You can have your little piece. At Disney version. Yeah, you, you're correct. You can have a little one there, but uh, I still got to go there. I've got to park there. I've got to walk through it. Correct. Um, if I live there, I walk there. Yeah. If I live in Potts Point, I would, Elizabeth Bay, I would walk there. Yeah. But I, for me to drive all the way across, find where it's parked. So, or and I for have one to venue. Think about well. getting an Uber home or whatever. Like, it's too much yeah. for me, you know? But I would definitely have you come to my house. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would. I mean, you know, like, and and not because I I don't hold dinner parties, but I might have some people over to have a pizza. Yeah. And and by the way, I got a cool little pizza oven, and I think I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> and, and making the pizza is sort of interesting. You know, people say, "What sort of pizza is that?" You know, it's got sardines from the fish markets. There's a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I, I live these stories, so I actually think that that would be a great promotion. That'd be a great thing for you to promote. Um, 
Now, if I go back to Lay Girls, Lay Girls was about theatre. It was theatre. Um, when I was 18, 19 years of age, I didn't quite understand what, really what it was about. I mean, there was a lot of depth in the, the, the people dressing that way. There was more to it than me just seeing someone impersonating Shirley Bassey. Yeah. But, but, there, but, but it was I, a good Shirley Bassey. It was good. But I, I now get it. I now understand the layers of it. Yeah. But I, what I was doing is it was uh, – remember the old dinner theatres? Uh, yeah. Well, that's it. that was Lay Girls. It was a better version of that. Today we don't have a version of that. Imagine no. if you could bring a version of that to my home. I, I th- people could even dress in the certain yeah. way. I think I, you make a really good point there. I think that's the magic, and I think that's the thing that we should be going back to is that personality-driven kind of engagement. It just made everybody get energized, and yeah. getting people energized today is really hard to do. You got mm. me energized today just thinking about stuff that I remember. Um, I think you're onto something. People, we want light relief. Yeah, we are looking for it. I mean. The world's technology, same, same, same to me. Um, it's yeah. all about efficiency. How can I get it there faster, cheaper? Um, and how can I do more of it for the same price as opposed to what you're saying is let's try something different. Yeah. Let's throw a bit of entertainment. Let's actually go back to old school. Yeah. And let's really bring back the theatre. And enjoy it. And and just just chill. Stop thinking about technology. Yeah. Really nice to talk to you, Brennan. That was Love so cool. To Great stuff. Uh, you uh, you dragged great old memories out of my head and you also made me start to think, so if I'm getting yeah. boring, I better get out again. <laughs> Good luck to you. Thanks.